Welcome back to the I'm Book Podcast. I'm April O'Leary and this is episode 55. Today I have on Lars Emmerich, who is a USA Today and international best-selling author of the Sam Jameson thriller series. He is an entrepreneur, he's a musician, an investor, an athlete, and he's a retired fighter pilot. He lives with his family in Parker, Colorado, and you can find him at Lars, L-A-R-S dot buzz, B-U-Z-Z. And we're going to get into the process of writing. How does he get his story ideas? How does he process and make time to write? What's his schedule look like? And I believe that the writing process for all writers can look differently. So let's hear how he writes his thriller series and you can glean some nuggets that you can take away to make your writing process even smoother. So welcome to the show, Lars. Let's get started. But hold on, before we get started, if you haven't done this yet, I encourage you to stop what you're doing, stop this recording, and go over to O'LearyPublishing.com right now to pick up your free copy of The Influencer's Path to Successful Publishing, where we help you learn how to craft your book, share your message, cultivate your community, and build your brand. So if you're a professional, if you're an aspiring speaker, if you're someone who has just had an idea and you're not quite sure how to get it out into a book format, we encourage you to download The Influencer's Path to Successful Publishing right now at O'LearyPublishing.com. Go get it. I dare you. Welcome to the iBook Podcast. I'm April O'Leary, founder of O'Leary Publishing, and I'm excited to be with you again today to talk all about writing and publishing and growing a readership. And today I'm very excited we have on Lars Emmerich, who is a thriller author and has done quite an amazing job building his author brand. So welcome to the show. Thank you, April. It's great to be here. So we were just laughing because there's a little bit of uh out of the box things happening before we press the play button, including, you know, it's summertime. And so all kinds of things can happen when you work from home. Um, but I see you've got some guitars in the background in your studio. So what's that all about? Yeah, one of my alter egos is a musician. Actually, that's what I mainly am, I think, down at the, like, if you took everything else away, uh, that's the thing I would ask to keep is making music. Oh, very interesting. Well, the, the creative mind works in many mysterious ways. And in this particular case, talking about writing and specifically your writing. So let's talk about your path into authorship. How did you get started? I was probably 18 and my girlfriend's father gave me for Christmas a Tom Clancy book. And I read the Tom Clancy book cover to cover. It's thick, it's like a dictionary. Tom writes a lot of words or wrote a lot of words. And, uh, but I was enthralled, absolutely enthralled. I loved the way these minor details had these international global impacts as the stories wove together. I also loved the way that the, he would start with these different plot lines, different people in different parts of the world doing different things by the end 
they were all intertwined in this really intriguing way. And it just blew my mind. So I think I might have been 22 or 23. I was in going through uh, pilot training in the Air Force. I had a, an afternoon uh, free on a weekend from, you know, free from studying. And I sat down and started to write. And I realized this is ridiculous. I'm 23. I have nothing to say. I don't know anything. <laughs> and I'm just starting on this crazy, this crazy career. So I shelved it for maybe 15, 16 years or so. And I found myself in a job, uh, not a flying job, unfortunately. I was, I was doing a lot of uh, airline flying as a passenger to various places and spending most of my time either on highways or in airports or hotels. And I decided it was time. I'm going to start writing these novels. And um, I never should have released the first one, but it ended up being a, uh, a bestseller. So I had to run with it. <laughs> rest as <laughs> Why do you say you never should have released it? Oh, it was a hot mess. I mean, it really was. Maybe three or four revisions later, when I when I pick it up, I, I still feel like this is kind of a hot mess. And I won't tell you which title it is because... <laughs> You know, then then people will will be shy and and uh, and you know reluctant to pick it up. People say it's their favorite of mine. It's my least favorite. But uh. so did in between the time when you got your first Tom Clancy book at eighteen and when you started writing, were you consuming a lot of books? I w- I'm always reading something. Always reading something. I I don't remember the last time I went to sleep before reading prior to going to bed. I don't make time during the day. I don't, uh, I've often thought, man, it would be great to do that. I just haven't scheduled time to, to read during the day, um, but I'm, I'm always reading something, often nonfiction, but uh, I, I like to find the, the very best in, in different genres and uh, learn from how they put things together and uh, you know, add to my bag of tricks, if you will. So, I'm picturing you as a, what, mid-30s, late-30s, writing your first novel. How did you even start? Like, I ha- I've written some nonfiction books, and we publish all nonfiction books. We have one fiction book in our, in our uh, catalog, but I have this brilliant idea. I can't tell you what it is, because you could probably write it way better than my concept, <laughs> but I, I don't even know where to start with it. So how do you start? That's a, an interesting question. Um, it's almost always with a little nugget, a little kernel of something. Sometimes it's a plot idea. Uh, sometimes it's a general theme that I would like to turn into a plot idea. Often it's just a scene or a character or a situation. And just anything that condenses your attention around it and um, gets you a little bit excited to, to sit down and start writing. And that's usually how it starts. The first one third to 40% of a book for me is, is the most fun period of time. I'm just, I'm a kid in a playground, you know, having fun, characters are doing things, stuff is happening, it's all great. And that at some moment, always usually in the middle of some proto chapter, I'll realize, oh no, this has to become a story at some point. Like this has to fit together. And then at about the midpoint, it becomes less an art project and more an engineering project to make sure these (laughs) stories all wire together. And then by the end, it's purely engineering. It's, it's work. 
I schedule myself to sit down and, and do the work. And uh, that's where I feel like I'm earning it. You know, the beginning part is just the joy of, of exploring what the story wants to be and what this, what the characters feel like they need to say. And um, it's really interesting because a lot of that stuff doesn't feel as though it, I mean, of course it's coming from our brains, but it doesn't feel like it, it's anything that we've hatched. It just sort of flashes in front of your consciousness. You know, it's not a, not a controlled process. Yeah. So do you, um, I've always been curious to, to understand fiction writing better because it's not, as I said, something I've done, but do you typically approach a book through um, like mind mapping and kind of figuring out what it is like the, the overarching kind of arc of the book or do you just kind of get right in there and then sort of as you said like scenes are flashing you're writing it and it's revealing itself as you're going it's normally or something else entirely yeah it's normally for me a combination of of those things the the best writers i think i shouldn't say that i would say the most prolific writers that i know adhere strictly to a, a plotting regimen um the what's happened for me is that when i've plotted a story out often i'll get to a key turning point and realize that i was relying on a character to act out of character in order to move the plot forward so um i've i paint myself into a corner often that way what i do typically is I let the story get its hooks into me. And I, that's just the, you know, the, the fun and the joy of writing and, and uh, the beginning stages. And um, once I get the first couple of, the first opening sequences where I like them and they, they feel like people are likely to enjoy those, then I'll begin, I'll begin writing about 10 chapters worth of beats at a time. Mm. So then I'll write to those beats and really those are more, they look more like uh, the beginnings or the outlines of chapters themselves. I'll, I'll flesh out dialogue uh, because for me, the way that a character shows up and the words they choose, the direction they take things that needs to feel organic. Otherwise things start to get pretty forced. So um, I used to, I used to believe I needed to figure out the entire route from A to Z. Now I sort of feel like, you know, my headlights when I'm driving at night, they don't shine all the way home. They just shine far enough for me to get home. And that's kind of my approach to, uh, to writing now. But I get to a certain point and I realize mm, I have to plot this to the end. So that's the, that's the really hardcore like engineering project to make all the things plot wise fit together. And then I'll go back and flesh out the, the way that the scenes unfold. It's so oh. interesting. I love that. And you know what? That's a good principle for life. <laughs> You're like your headlights only get you a little bit along the way, yeah. but but they get you far enough. They get you far enough. Exactly. Exactly. So, your one of your main characters in your series is Sam Jameson. Am I saying that right, Jameson? That's right. Yep. So tell me about um, how you developed this character and how it's kind of gone through um, the series. Yeah, I um, I hadn't been exposed to that many heroines in 
particularly espionage fiction or conspiracy fiction before. I'm sure they exist. I, I just hadn't really been exposed to them. And I thought it would be a great idea. I mean, I thought it'd be about time. You know, the, my most favorite people on earth happen to be female. Um, I'm absolutely awed at, at the strength and character and courage of the women in my life. And certainly to an extent, I've, I felt like I wanted to reflect that in, in uh, Sam's character. Sam is short for Samantha. Sometimes people are, are shocked to get into the story and realize that, oh, I, I thought Sam was a dude, but it turns out Sam is, is a, is a woman. Yeah. And, um, and I put her in a male-dominated world. And um, of course, she has a bit of a chip on her shoulder for a number of reasons. And I, that always just felt compelling to me that um, that was an it was not a unique angle, but it was an uncommon angle on on a uh, genre that and certainly has its tropes like any other. And how many how many books does she appear in? Uh, she's in 10 and, um, she's in the 11th that I'm working on right now. Wow. It's pretty neat to think that she gets to go through all these adventures. And do you feel as though you know her better now than when you first started writing? I do. I think she and I have grown up together a little bit as that, as that goes. Certainly I, I, um, she's had to endure some of my eccentricities over the years. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully those have uh, dampened out a little bit with, with age and uh, ostensibly wisdom, although who knows if any of that is accumulated. Uh, but I do feel like I, I know her better. And I, certainly she has traversed an, an arc in her character and, um, and she's been lately thrust in some very, uh, very important positions that she would never have dreamt of occupying. And so mm. that has been fun, uh, reconciling. And, and always, I think, when we get into these kinds of positions, we wonder, am I enough for this? Is, mm. is what has been enough from me in the past, will that continue to be enough in the future? And am I suited for this? Do I even want it? Um, do I like the idea of it more than I like the reality of it? All of those questions, I think, are, are uh, they certainly play for, for us, and they are at play for her as she's figuring things out later in the series. I love that. I love that. And, you know, fictional storytelling is so much, I think, more difficult in some ways than nonfiction writing, because it's not telling how, it's showing. It's like demonstrating through the character some of these bigger concepts and writing them through the plot line and all of that. So um, I'm very curious to start reading your books. And so I would like to backtrack to your very first book. And we were talking about right before the interview started, some of the challenges with getting the word out and, and promoting your book and stuff in the early going. So putting back on your, your debut author hat, what are some of the things that you could share with other debut authors that things that challenges that maybe came to you that you didn't expect or successes you had or things you would do or things you wouldn't do again, those kinds of things? Yes, that's a great question. I think the, um, the fastest way to make money with a book is to be a nonfiction author and use that book as a door opener 
for a business that you run on the back, on the back end, consulting so business, typically some area of expertise that you that you have. If you're dead set on fiction, be sure that you love writing fiction because you're going to have to write a lot of it. Um, I tell folks that um, you can't really expect to run a profitable business before maybe your fourth or fifth novel. And if, if romance is your genre, that number is probably closer to seven or eight these days. Mm. And so really it has to be something you do because you would just do it anyway. It can't be something that you're doing to try to get someplace with it because it is a hard road and it is difficult. And the main obstacle that I would say almost all new authors face is just impatience. Mm. It's just trying to, to push things along before they're ready. And, uh, you know, my, my best possible novel 10 years ago is a different thing than my best possible novel now, because I've learned something over the years. I've had, you know, I have a better sense for who I am. I have a better sense for who the characters are. And that makes one hopes that makes the books more enjoyable and more readable as you go along. And, um, at least that's the trajectory that you kind of hope to do traverse. Sometimes I'm sure it feels like authors are just cranking them out because they're due, like they're turning their homework in on time and taking their C plus and moving on. Hmm. But that's the main thing is that, um, is that it's going to take a number of books. The second is, and this is just as important. You'd need to have a personal relationship with your readership. It's the thing that, uh, independent and and uh, newer authors have as their secret weapon that traditionally published authors often don't have is the ability to cultivate a personal relationship with readers and this will power the super fan phenomenon and help propel your career forward so i think those are two things right because you love it uh, and plan to do a lot of it if you want to be a novelist and don't be afraid I should say, move past your fear of yes. having a real relationship with uh, real people out in the world. And it, so, it's, go ahead. Yeah, well, that's a great point. And I'm sure there are those listening who are wondering, well, I'm a writer, you know, how am I supposed to build a relationship with my authors? What are some ways people can go about doing that? I know it's, you could say, put up social media posts, those kinds of things. But when I looked at your website, you have a lot of raving fans. So I'd love to hear what you have to say about building that, that audience. The, the medium that I use is, um, so I, once I had enough books to do this profitably, I began marketing my books on via paid media and selling them directly to fans. So this was important because I could, I could spend a dollar today and make a dollar fifty, a dollar seventy today on those sales. You'll notice that I didn't spend a dollar today and make eight bucks on those sales, right? This is not a, this is not even a get rich slow kind of a game. This is a do it because you love it kind of a game. <laughs> and maybe it'll work out at some moment down in, in the future, right? But the way that I built and maintained relationships was through the the one medium that I sort of owned, which was email. 
So when you're on social media, whatever you post on pick your social media company, that's the property of your social media company. And if they're building an audience and allowing you to reach people for free, that's great, but you should know that the time is limited. There will come a point when, just like Facebook did back in the day, you might have, I don't know, a million raving fans on your, for your Facebook page. Overnight, Facebook removed your ability to reach all of them unless you paid advertising costs to reach all of them. Well, it doesn't cost me anything but the time to put together a good email to send out to folks. And so that's, uh, that's the one thing that you own. The other thing is that you're an author. You write. You can write interesting things in emails. And people will say, I enjoy your emails just as much as I enjoy your books. Keep both of them coming. Thank you very much. And, you know, this kind of thing is, is really, it feels awesome. Of course, you're going to have people say, I hate you. I hope you die. And that's part of the game, too. Like, that's, that's the price of being somewhat public. And uh, mm. the first few of those hurt, for sure. And, um, and it's easy to get riled up when you see them even later on in your career, but they are just part of the game. Mm. And uh, really, I think, I think there's a great deal of power in, in just taking a little extra time to cultivate a relationship with fans. I love it. I love it. So I've, I'm on a few different email lists. I'm on many email lists, which I'm sure is common for most people these days. Although I'll tell you, I hate going shopping and they ask you for your email when you check out to buy something. I say, no, thank you. And they're like, really? You don't want to save $2 today? I was like, no way. <laughs> but to get the emails where you feel connected to the person, like they're writing to you. And a lot of times they'll say, hit reply. I'd love to hear from you. And I've tested out some of those and I'll hit reply and say something. And then they reply back. And then you feel like all of a sudden it's no longer just an author that's out in the distance. It's a person who is talking to you. Have you had that experience where you've had fans reply back to your emails and you've yes. replied back again? Yes. It's, um, it's humbling and uh, moving at times. The things that people will tell you about their personal lives, their losses, their, um, you know, their, their deepest secrets that are probably hard for them to tell anybody else, often you'll find this in your inbox. And um, especially early on, it always, always is important to reply to those. There, there will come a point, if you're lucky, uh, where you don't have the opportunity to to read every single one of them uh, just because you know the list grows to a large number and the number of replies you get every given moment for every email it's it's large and um, that's it's a little bit sad you know when that happens because you're you do become a little less of the hometown author and more of like more like a business mm. it's just too much yeah. volume but this is one of those things where i think um it's really hard to grow to the point where you have that kind of really nice champagne problem where oh too, yeah. many, too many readers are interested in this email for me to reply to every one of them right that's a yeah. that's a really a champagne kind of problem to have the way that i think is a, a the surest path to growing something substantial first of all the quality of your books has to come come first 
that's always in the eye of the beholder, but, but you know, when you're working hard and doing everything you need to do and hiring all the people you need to hire to produce a quality work. And the second thing is to do things that don't scale, like replying to every fan who takes a minute to, to write to you. And, um, that's one of those things that, that you, you obviously can't do for millions of fans, but you can do for dozens in the beginning and then hundreds. And then at some point in the thousands, you have to make other arrangements, but, yeah. Um, but I think you really only get to the thousands by being kind and real and yeah. genuine to everyone that you can along the way. I agree. So I'm curious, when did the tides shift for you as an author where you went from the dozens to the hundreds to the like, I've got champagne problems now? Was there like a certain maybe media hit that you got or was it just a collaboration of a long, slow build? Um, what, what was your experience just through that pathway of growing? The clear turning point for me was when I had the light bulb moment that I didn't want to rely on third party retailers to do my marketing for me, to uh, run my finances for me, to pay me or not pay me 60 to 90 days from the day they, they make the sale. I wanted a little more control over, over the direction my business went. So I began selling directly to customers and, um, I did this by advertising on social media. So I learned some skills along the way that helped me to really meet readers where they were, even in an advertisement so that I could demonstrate right away that, Hey, if, I'm not everybody's favorite. I'm not writing in everybody's favorite genre, but if I'm writing in your genre, or a genre that you like, you're likely to enjoy these books. And so there's a bit of art and science to all of that. But once, uh, once I sort of cracked that code and, and developed a process that allowed me to run those advertisements profitably, well, then I was playing with house money right after that. So I was able to uh, continue to, uh, to grow the business that way. I love that. You know, I've talked to a few authors who have successfully done similarly um, with advertising to going to direct sales. And it's something we, we talk to our authors about. They also um, do have third-party retailers selling their books. But I say, given the choice, if you're out spending money online to promote yourself, always send people to your personal site and get them to download the ebook or a sample of your book or purchase an autographed copy, you know, um, because as you said, that's how you get the chance to build the relationship with the reader because you actually know who they are. Um, and when they're buying off of a third party platform, you don't know. And when you come out with your next book, you're trying to chase them down again. Um, so were you running your, your advertising through Facebook or through Google? What was your strategy? Uh, mainly Facebook also a bit of Google and uh, I haven't cracked crack the TikTok code yet. Maybe it's because I don't <laughs> dance very well. Yeah. That's definitely a thing. You know, there, yeah. there's definitely a migration um, between those platforms. For sure. For sure. That is a code. I actually, at the beginning of the summer, as I mentioned before our interview here, I've got a, three daughters and my youngest is 15 currently, and they're all on TikTok and the whole book talk. I'm sure you've heard of that hashtag mm -hmm. book talk, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, can you do book talks for me? I'll pay you. 
So yeah. unfortunately, you know, working for mom wasn't super interesting to her. Mm. Um, but yeah, there is a real power behind using the social networks to drive the traffic to your site. So you're still doing that today. Are you still running ads and still growing the same way using your house money? I am. I'm also, I, I realize that I've, I, I really enjoy having great conversations with great folks like yourself. So I'm expanding and uh, moving into uh, the podcast arena as well to help spread the word. I tell you, it's more enjoyable to chat with folks about, about uh, crazy stories than it is to be clicking around inside of the, an ads manager on some, uh, you know, on some advertising site. I'll do this eight days a week over fussing with, with ads, but uh, ads tend to pay the bills. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because you said earlier in this interview about it becoming a business. And I know that when the temptation as a writer, especially early on is I've got this beautiful story to tell, or I had this life transforming experience and I need to share it with the world and I want to help people. But as you grow, grow through that, you know, process, and then you realize like, I'm spending a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort, a lot of energy that there is um, a return on that investment that we should expect over a period of time. And it does become a business. And we do have to take off sort of that creative hat and put on the entrepreneur hat in a way. So how have you juggled both of those, you know, hats? Uh, I drop the balls regularly in both arenas is how it ends up. in. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I have a terrific balance um, where that is related because for me, they are different kinds of thinking. Mm -hmm. Doing business type things, that's immediate, very checklist driven. It's very like, um, it, it really gets at the type A go-getter in me who loves to check things off the list. And um, it's a different mm -hmm. mode of thinking. Uh, it's also responding to immediate things that come in every day and unexpectedly. And it's hard to fence off space to allow your mind to set that stuff down and to write stories. Mm. But the way that I found that works best for me and everybody's different, it's got to be first. It has to be the first thing. I, there's no email open in the morning. You know, it's the, the only the only thing on the agenda prior to getting to work writing is the yeah. coffee maker. And then once yeah. that's done. I was gonna say coffee is like probably primary, yeah. Yeah, it is primary. And I, I like that I'm an early riser and the house is generally quiet then and it's fun just to kind of snuggle up with a story and uh, in a dark, quiet house and get going. So that's how I found to sort of serve both um but again i don't you know i wouldn't put myself for as the paragon of balancing the creative side and the business side i think they're just different parts of the brain that need their own time and their own space and you have to guard you have to guard both of them sort of jealously yeah it's great advice and you know there is no perfect in the publishing world or the writing world i've encourage our authors from the, the very first meeting, I always say, you know, we're all human beings. And the chances are when you get your published book, you'll find one error somewhere. 
somewhere in there, there will be something because there is no perfection with the human touch on everything. And so letting down the, um, you know, releasing your shoulders a little bit and be like, okay, it's going to come out perfectly imperfect. And on some days, maybe you don't write and you're focusing on the business more. And some days it's just like the writing's taking off and you got to just ignore the other stuff. But that's, that's, I think how flexibility really helps win the game. Um, I think so too. So, Sorry, I was just chuckling when you mentioned that hey, there's probably going to be an error. We read the Harry Potter series to our kids a couple of years ago. And every time I ran across a typo in the best-selling books in human history or whatever they are these days, I would always smile a little bit and be like, yes, I'm not the only one that has yeah. these things sneak through, you know? J.K. Rowling, the great, has a typo on page 753 of whatever. Yes. So, yes. And she's working with the best of the best of the best in the industry. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that that understanding that that does not going to detract from the story and people are going to enjoy who you are and what you're putting forth. And and people that are going to criticize are going to find something to criticize anyway. Yeah. So to wrap it up and there's, you know, as I went to your website, which is going to be in the show's show notes and it's Lars L-A-R-Z dot buzz. L-A-R-S dot buzz. L-A-R-S. I'm sorry. Lars buzz. L-A-R-S. Sorry about that. Um, you know, you have a very unique way of, as we said, connecting with your readers and getting your email list built so that you can continue to write, continue to serve those readers who already love your work, attracting new ones. But I noticed you have a very interesting model of selling on your website. Let's talk about that. Yeah, that's a, um, uh, that's an experiment. And that's a, the most important part of the business side of it for me is experimenting mm. and experimenting with the business model as well and um, paying close attention to trends and forming a hypothesis and developing a test that can bring some data in to tell you, hey, you're way out to lunch in this hypothesis, man. Get back, color in the lines again. Or, no, there's something here. So, uh, yep. The, and it, no matter when people listen to this, uh, that test, and it's always, always aimed at giving readers better value and uh, giving them greater opportunity to enjoy things, particularly as the price of everything comes down related to content, mm. uh, you know, audio content, written content, that price is coming down. And so you have to stay in step with reality. So no matter when you're heading over to Lars.Buzz, it's the best deal I have available at the time. So uh, that the shape of that deal changes over time as, as we learn and grow and try and test and fail and, and sometimes succeed. And uh, uh, yeah, that's critical to the process. You have to take risks. You have to take risks. Otherwise, you just don't grow. Yeah, it's a great, it's great uh, advice for those who are writing and selling their books. It's great advice for anyone in business. We've had the same experimentation going. Um, our package pricing and the way we structure things and how we bill has changed significantly over the past four years. And it's always to try to make things easier for everybody. Um, and to, as you said, to include the most value and to really serve them the best way we can. So I really have appreciated this time with you. It's been so great. You are I'm looking forward to reading your 
your books and seeing uh, what I can learn from Sam along the way as your heroine. Sounds like she's got quite the story and quite the um, fortitude, shall I say? <laughs> I wouldn't mess with it. I'll put it that way. I wouldn't mess with it. <laughs> so anything you'd like the readers to know or the potential readers to how to connect with you? Uh, the best way is just at that website, lars.buzz. You'll have access to the to, to my best deal. Um, the best deal, I call it the best the best deal in thriller fiction. And so uh, that's the best place to, to go check it out. And um, I, I will say to the writers on who are listening, that people care about supporting people rather than corporations. Mm. People say, I would... I would even pay a little more if I knew it was going to the writer and not going to the richest man on the planet. Mm -hmm. And they say, I would rather support authors and board members. You know, I would uh, rather do the internet equivalent of buying local rather than buying chain or, or national or international kind of thing. So there's a movement um, sort of away from the corporatized experience and toward a real, slightly imperfect, not completely optimized to the gills kind of yeah. experience. So don't be afraid to get out there and be who you are and find your people. And uh, they're, they're happy to support you. I think that's beautiful. I love that. And you're right that people love to support people. People love to connect. And especially in this day and age where we can feel disconnected for various reasons or isolated, you know, you don't have to feel that way. You could put out content and start attracting people who are more like you or reach out and connect with someone else and uh, support their writing. And I think supporting one another is just really the, the best thing that we can do um, in the literary world. So thank you again for your time today. And to find out more, go to lars.buzz, L-A-R-S dot B-U-Z-Z. -Z. His link's gonna be in the show note and you can get his best deal on thrillers fiction. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much. And that concludes today's episode of the iBook Podcast. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. I encourage you to dial in, leave us a voice message, and we'd love to include your feedback on our podcast. You can grab that link in the show notes to send in a voice recording. And be sure to check out Lars and his work at lars.buzz. He is an amazing thriller writer. Thank you for being a part of the show today, Lars. And for those of you who want to take that leap into writing, I encourage you to do so. Create the time, create the space to write, put your thoughts and words out there, whether that's fiction or nonfiction. If we can help you, we would be more than happy to do so. You can check us out at o'learypublishing.com. Have an amazing day. <laughs>